right, are we ready? Let's pray. I'm ready. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for the power that is in your word. And uh, today as we, we come around your word, Lord, I believe that you're going to speak to us. You're going to do something incredible in our hearts, Lord, once again. We yield ourselves to you, Father, and we ask you to come and shift our thinking, shift our hearts, shift our mindsets, Lord. But more than anything, help us to truly fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, because you are where our help comes from, Father. And so we give everything to you right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, here we go. We are still going on with taking back Pentecost. And um, it's kind of been hijacked a bit over the decades and over the centuries. And I feel like God is stirring something worldwide, really wanting the church to rise up and kind of get back to the simplicity, the transparency, the authenticity, and the vulnerability. Um, a lot of itty words right there, but all those kind of words about, about Pentecost, wanting to see the power of God and, and just the Holy Spirit taking charge of his church. And so we've been talking over the last uh, 13 weeks, today's our 14th week, of course we did the first nine weeks, just on the anointing and what that looks like in us as individuals, and now we're doing a section on the corporate anointing. And so you know, we, we are very serious about raising up ministers in our church. I believe that is the call on every church, is to go out and make disciples. And disciples turn into ministers. And uh, disciples are ministers. And then because we're part of the body of Christ, we're part of the church, we're part of God's government here on earth, therefore we begin to take on specific ministry roles that the Holy Spirit will create over our lives and He will do according to the will of God. And so we want to be a part of that and truly be sensitive to how God is raising up people. And uh, so in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the laying on of hands, and we will be laying on of hands. In fact, we've decided, I think last week I might have mentioned a specific date in December, but uh, we're going to bring that forward. Uh, we're actually going to have our laying on of hands service, the anointing service will be on the 17th of November along with uh, graduation and prophetic. So it all goes hand in hand anyway. And so it's going to be one incredible Sunday. So I want you to come prepared. I want you to really start uh, preparing your heart even more. I know many of you have already been praying and listening to your prophetic words. Get out some of your old prophetic words, listen to them, pray over them, and ask God to, to uh, bring about a reality of those words in your, li in your life. Um, so we've got the DMS graduation service and, and at some point I'd like to pray for the children as well, lay hands on the kids and we'll, we'll look at when we can do that. Um, but also that particular week is actually our church's 21st birthday. So it's kind of perfect. And uh, not only that, but I just realized the other day, it's also uh, 40 years in that week exactly since Brahm arrived in Australia. And uh, so that might not mean anything to anyone else, but I still remember was it the 15th of November? 15th of November, 1979. In fact, the 15th of November was when we started our church. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, so he arrived in, in Australia not knowing what was going to happen as a young 24-year-old and uh, could, couldn't really speak English very well. And, and yet here he is, <laughs> he still can't, he says. And yet here he is, you know, pastoring a church, and it's, it's, just, it's just so exciting to see what God is doing. So I want us to really be preparing ourselves for that laying on of hands service and to start preparing our hearts even for DMS 
in 2020. And um, yeah, it's going to be great. It's interesting how 40, just a little side note, 40 in the Bible was actually the number of testing. And um, so it's really interesting that we're going to be laying hands on the next generation of leaders in our 40th year of Brum being here with me. And, um, you know, we always knew, as was prophesied over us many times, that uh, we wouldn't see the things that we, the things that we wanted to see done through our ministry, we wouldn't do them ourselves. It would be through our children and our spiritual children. So I think God is gearing up for something exciting for this next generation. All right, so let's get into our sermon this morning. Let's look at 1 Corinthians. We're just going to read three scriptures, and these will be the backbone of what I want to speak on this morning. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Ephesians 5, starting at verse 15. And Colossians 3, verse 16. So let's read the first one. 1 Corinthians 14, 15. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Ephesians 5 is our next passage through to verse 21. 5.15. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Powerful passage of scripture right there. And then our last one, Colossians 3 verse 16 says this, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. All right, so we've been looking at the corporate anointing. We've been looking at what happens when we pray together. What does the Holy Spirit do? We looked at that a few weeks ago. We also looked at what happens when we worship together. What does God do? But today I want us to really ask the question, what does the Holy Spirit do when we worship together, stand on the Word together, and pray together? When we worship, have the Word, and pray together. Something very significant happens. And so our focus of what, we're, what I'm going to be speaking on today is just what it looks like to worship God, to have the Word of God, and to have God-centered prayer, and to do it as a corporate gathering. One is magnifying Him greater than our circumstances. That's what worship is. The second one is a foundation of truth on which we firmly stand, which actually also becomes a weapon. The Bible says it is the sword. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. And the, the last one, prayer, is asking Him to move in our circumstances with this weapon and because of His greatness. 1 Corinthians 14, 15, Paul says this. He says, pray and sing basically with both your mind and your spirit. That's what we read earlier out of 1 Corinthians 14. He says, you've got to pray with your, with your spirit. You've got to pray with your mind. You've got to sing with your spirit. You've got to sing with your mind. And he was talking about this. He was teaching the church in the context of a corporate gathering. 
So it's kind of important that we understand and use that as a bit of a background verse right there to understand that Paul here, in fact, all these scriptures are out of the letters of Paul to the different churches. And he's instructing them in how to run their church services and what, they sh- what it should look like as the people of God. But he's doing it in the context now of hearing the voice of God in 1 Corinthians 14. And I'm really excited that next year I can't wait to teach on 1 Corinthians 14 and do a little bit of a series just on that alone. But here he is, and he's he's giving the context of when you gather together as a corporate gathering, as a corporate church, as the people of God, you've got to know how to flow with the things of the Holy Spirit. Because obviously, like we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit is here with us. He's leading our worship. He sings through the congregation. But we need to understand what does that really look like for you and I as the people? We need to be taught. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, he even says, you know, for those who haven't been taught, who are unlearned, you've got to be careful. You can't do this, that, and the other. So there are very clear instructions in how we are to exercise our giftings in God to become one with the Holy Spirit, to use our minds, which involves our knowledge and our understanding, but also to be able to flow with the Holy Spirit. And not only with our, with our knowledge and with the Holy Spirit, but also it involves prayer, which is asking, and it involves singing or worship, which is magnifying God. So there are different aspects here. And so he's telling us this in, the corporate, in, in this corporate setting. He's giving us this context of how do you guys want to actually facilitate a spiritual atmosphere? You've got to do it this way. And so I think where we would do well to follow his instructions. So I want us to look briefly. We're not going to look at 1 Corinthians 14 today. We'll do that sometime next year. But basically, I want us to understand, uh, especially as we sort of round up over these next couple of weeks, this whole principle of corporate, uh, corporate anointing in, this, in these areas, I want us to understand what does worship the word and prayer look like in our lives. And so number one, number one, it looks like this. It changes our circumstances. It changes our circumstances. You know, if you look at the uh, history of Israel, there are so many different Psalms that talk about what the, what the power of worship and prayer and what that looks like. And Paul was very well versed in this history. I mean, remember he said he's a Hebrew of Hebrews and as to the law, he's a Pharisee. So this is a guy who knew the background of the word of God according to the Old Testament. This guy was very learned. And so he had many degrees, double degrees, all sorts of things when it came to knowledge of the word of God. And it was actually him who wrote in, in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, he says, now these things happen, these things in the Old Testament, they happened as an example and they were written for our instruction. They were written for our instruction. So this is a man who knows and understands, he's well versed in what's happened in the Old Testament. He's also writing the truth to the churches and saying they're there for our instruction. And so When you read what he writes in the New Testament, it's really important and imperative for us to understand he's doing this with the backdrop of the Word of God from what he's learned. It's amazing how God has used that when he's anointed him. And so I want us to look really quickly at Psalm 149, and I want us to look at a principle here of what it looks like for worship and prayer. And it says here, Psalm 149, verse 1, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song. And his praise in the congregation of the godly ones. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the sons of Zion rejoice in their king. 
Let him praise his name with dancing. Let him sing praises to him with timbrel and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the afflicted ones with salvation. Let the godly ones exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. All right? He starts to talk now. We're hearing from the psalmist now what it looks like what it looks like for for individuals. Let them exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy, even when they're waking up, even when they're going to sleep, as they start their day, as they finish their day. They begin to sing with a spirit of joy. Why? Because they're beginning to magnify God. They're exalting God. They're looking at God. And then it says in verse six, let the high praises of God be in their mouth. That's praise. That's praise. That's saying, that's exalting God. That's saying, everything that comes out of my mouth, like I said last week, the fruit of my lips is a sacrifice of praise. It's thanking God. Now, it doesn't have to be all dramatic and in biblical language. It can be, a simply, it can be as simple as, God, I thank you for today. I thank you, God. Like, it doesn't have to, you don't have to go and, you know, start talking in King James English or be loud like me or be all dramatic and emotional. It's got nothing to do with any of that. It's got to do with the principle of thanking God and and remembering that He is actually bigger than our circumstances. And when you go to bed and when you wake up, you can say, God, thank you. You know, I woke up this morning and the first words out of my mouth were, okay, Jesus, let's do this. Because I'm magnifying Him over my needs today, which is to bring the Word of God. And I tremble every time I stand up here to do that because I want to do it responsibly but I recognize I need him. So I start my morning by saying, Jesus, I need you. So let's not get all religious, okay? Don't get all religious on me and start using weird language and talking in a weird voice to God. Just tell him, just praise him, just thank him and and exalt him above everything. So it says, let the high praises of God be in their mouth. And then it says, and a two-edged sword in their hand. Now that's the word of God. That's a weapon right there. You don't use a weapon to praise God with, do you? You use a weapon to fight with. So this is a picture right here of worship mixed with the foundation of the word to stand on in prayer. You also don't just have a sword for the sake of having a sword. It's there to use against an enemy. And that's what prayer is. It's standing in the gap on behalf of all sorts of situations. So here we see a bit of a mixture now of what worship can look like, which is magnifying God, and then the Word of God being, becoming the weapon in our hands to, to be able to start to pray. And then it says in verse 7, to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written, this is an honor for all his godly ones, praise the Lord. So now you see, Paul knows all these Psalms. He knows all these principles. He's read and probably memorized many of the Psalms of David and the different Psalms and all the Proverbs and all the, all the different books of the Old Testament. He's, he's, he's gone in and he's read them. He's understood them. He knows the power of what it looks like to have praise coming off of our lips, that sacrifice of praise. And he also knows the power and the weaponry of the sword of the Spirit. He talks about it in Ephesians 6. He knows the power of what this looks like. And he knows that it all goes hand in hand. 
So he knew that even in the natural, that God had moved on Israel's behalf when they worshipped him. So he, he would know that. That would be in the background. That would be the backdrop of his knowledge and his instruction to now the New Testament church. So as he's giving them instructions, as he's telling them how to pray and how to sing in a corporate gathering, and remember 1 Corinthians 14 is all about hearing the voice of the Lord. If anyone's read it, and we'll talk about it next year sometime, and of course we talk, we'll actually talk about it next week, guys, for DMS Prophetic. The whole principle is when you're gathered, you want to hear, you want to create an environment where you hear the voice of God, but you've got to do it correctly. But these are some of the ways that you get there. This is how you build the, the atmosphere corporately to be able to come into a situation where you will hear the voice of God. And let's face it, we all want that. Two weeks ago, we had a meeting like that, didn't we? For those of us who are here, we know you know what I'm talking about. It's like the Holy Spirit took over. And we just went with the flow. We had people praying in tongues and, you know, uh, prophesying in tongues like it talks about in, in, in Corinthians. We had people interpreting. We had uh, prophetic words. We had words of knowledge. We had the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14. But there's a way to get there. And it flowed out of the worship. I don't know if any of you realize that, but it actually flowed up out of the worship. Yeah? Because that's where it happens. Because, see, he knows. He understands that Israel, even when they would worship God, they would see this kind of uh, annihilation of the enemy. Of course, he already knew about Second Chronicles 20 that we talked about a few weeks ago, about Jehoshaphat. He already knew about the power of praying together. And then, of course, the power of worshiping. And when they worshiped, there was a, you know, the, the Lord said an ambush amongst the enemy. And the enemy was defeated. Like these are all, there are stories after stories that, that talk about this in the Old Testament. So this is at the backdrop of Paul's thinking as he's now instructing the New Testament church about the importance of worship, the Word of God, and prayer together as a corporate entity. He knew that God could change people's circumstances when they worshiped. He knew that a spiritual atmosphere would bring the voice of God and God's perspective into any storm of life. And to do that, it would require the highest form of, of warfare, which is praise and worship to God. All right, so that's just a bit of a backdrop. We're not going to drill down onto all of that because we've got all of next year to do all sorts of teaching and all sorts of things about this. But suffice to say that this is a principle. And if this is all we know, that's a pretty good thing to know. Number two, what does worship, the word and prayer bring? It brings boldness. It brings about a supernatural boldness in our lives. You know, in Acts chapter 4, uh, when, you, when you read through that, that chapter, you, you read about how Peter and John were instructed not to teach in the name of Jesus. The religious leaders were getting quite nervous. And they were very anxious about what this new sect called the way was doing. And so they were actually threatened by, Peter and John were actually threatened by the religious leaders of the day which would have been very intimidating. And could you imagine? The church would have felt very intimidated. And yet when you pick it up uh, towards the end of chapter 4, from about verse 24 onwards, it talks about how they began to pray together as a church. They didn't, they didn't run off all terrified. They didn't run from the corporate gathering. They ran to one another because they realized that they needed that corporate anointing. They needed that, that corporate time together. And they began to pray. 
It reminds me of when Eric died. Who was here when Eric died? Hands up. He was just a beautiful, beautiful young guy in our church. He was 23 or 24 years old when he was killed in a car accident. And what happened next was absolutely amazing. Our, our church, pretty much everyone, would gather at our house in Kew, uh, the one that we used to live in many years ago. And for probably eight days in a row, we would gather together and we would worship and we would pray and we would grieve together. But we sought God and we, we asked God. And we, we, we needed God to console our hearts. And, but also, we were actually believing that God would raise him from the dead. Hey, why not? To the point that Brahm and I went in to the funeral parlor and we laid hands on, on his body for a couple of hours. And, and I totally expected him to open his eyes and say, hi, die. But I guess heaven was a lot more attractive to him. Who knows? But I know that God loves that kind of faith. We weren't being presumptuous. We were being expectant. There's a difference. And it's, in the end, it's God's decision when someone goes and when someone stays. But, you know, it was amazing how that was our instinct was all together. And it wasn't just to cry. It was actually to worship and to pray. Do you remember that, Chooks? It was amazing, wasn't it? And then at his funeral, oh, my gosh, who remembers that? At his funeral. In fact, Chooky, were you playing in the worship team? I, I think some of my kids were up there. Anyone here went to his funeral? Yeah. The worship in that funeral, I'll never forget it. It was incredible. It was like just the presence of God because we'd been standing in that place for him and standing as a body. And we were trusting God with everything, with his body lying right there in front of me. It was, it was incredible. As the team were worship meeting, there was an open casket and there was Eric lying there in front of our team who were best mates with this guy. And yet the worship was profound, the presence of God. And I got up and did the a little sermonette, and about 10 people got saved at that funeral, including his father. It was amazing. Now, you know, the result of Eric being raised from the dead, that's not my business and not our business. That is God's business, because he knows the number of our days. But he loves the faith. And it comes out of a place of corporate faith and corporate anointing. So, yeah, amazing. I just, I just remember that. So there's a boldness that comes on when we begin to pray together. And that was definitely a boldness. But, you know, we read in, in, in chapter 4 that this is, why, this is how the church responded to the threats. Let's pick it up from verse 24, Acts 4, verse 24. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord. There you go. There was unity. There was, they were in unison. And they said, O oh Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Now, what is that? That's praise. That's worship. That's magnifying God. What does it mean to When you get a magnifying glass, you put it over something and it actually looks bigger when you, look, when you magnify it. They're, they're positioning themselves to make him look bigger than their circumstances. They're using the magnifying power of praising him to remind their minds as they're hearing the words come out of their mouth, they're reminding their minds to magnify him, to make him larger than their circumstances. And they're declaring praise to God. It is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
Now, when you and I praise God, you might not be that dramatic and use scriptures, but you might be driving in your car, and you might, or you might be sitting in the tram going to work, or you might be on your motorbike, or you might be walking down the street, or you might be changing nappies, or you might be washing dishes. It really doesn't matter. You just begin to magnify Him. God, you are able. You are bigger than my circumstances. I give you praise. I honor you, God. You might whisper it because you, you can't say it out loud. But it doesn't matter because it's coming from a heart that believes. It's coming from a heart that says, I want the fruit of my lips to be praise to God. It's acknowledging that he knows more than I do in this situation right now. And that's what they were doing. They were saying, they were reminding themselves. It's like it brings you back into alignment. When you're going through things, number one, we see from this, we need each other. We can't do life alone. We need each other. Number two, when we're doing life together, we've got to bring all of our minds in one accord into alignment with the truth of the nature of God. You know, you'll often hear me say that God, walking with God is walking in a journey of life where you actually learn about the nature of God. It's not learning more scriptures. You know, I, I know of many people who are so-called theologians, they're not even born again. They've just got information stored in their brains, but they don't know the person of the truth that's contained within the theology that they're reading about. You see, walking with this person of the truth is just that. You learn his ways, you learn his nature. You learn as you go and you start to recognize. You start to recognize when he's speaking to you. You start to recognize when he's closing doors. You start to recognize when he's pleased with something and you start to recognize when he's not pleased with something. But it's a journey. It's just literally one step after the other. It's walking with him. But in all circumstances, while we're still on the journey of learning about him, these are core principles. These are first principles that we have as the people of God. We need to praise him regardless, even though we don't understand. Is it easier for me to praise him now, 40 years on from being saved? Yeah. It probably is because over 40 years, I've learned his nature. I've learned about his nature. In fact, in, in Hebrews, it says that when it comes to the areas of our flesh, to the mature, even our flesh can be taught to love the things of God, can be taught to discern, which is a pretty big statement. But that's because you've, you, you're permeated, just saturated with the truth of who God is. Even, even your flesh, it kind of starts to diminish in what it wants and what it needs. But were, was I like that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 39 years ago, 40 years ago? No, of course not. But I knew 40 years ago, I learned the power of praise. And I've done that for 40 years. You can ask my kids. They'll tell you. They heard us praising God. They heard us worshiping God. They heard us constantly giving a sacrifice of praise, even when we didn't understand. Now, 40 years later, I look back on some of those times that I didn't understand, and now I have understanding. And, and once again, you know what I do? I thank God that he pulled me through, because even in my blindness, he made a way for me, because that's what faith is. It's, it's not walking by sight. It's walking by trusting in him. It's just saying, you know what, I trust you, Jesus. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I know maybe one day I will, or maybe I won't until I get to heaven, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to follow what you're telling me to follow. 
And so it's very, very powerful. And so here they are. They're praising God. And then in verse 25, it says, Who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So here we see them now quoting the word of God. Now they've got their swords out. They've already magnified God. And now they're reminding themselves about what the word says about a situation. See, when you start to praise God, remember you get perspective in the storm. You start to see, and all of a sudden, everything gets into alignment, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit starts to bring to your remembrance scriptures and truths. Why? Because He begins to speak to you. This is what 1 Corinthians 14 is all about. It's so amazing. And all of a sudden, you start to understand and comprehend what God is doing. And so they begin to say this now. Is, are they all quoting this together? I don't think so. Are they all kind of saying, all right, now everybody, let's all quote this scripture. Who by the whole, why did the, no. Somebody clearly has received something from God and said, you know what, I know what God is doing here. Just like in Second Chronicles 20 with Jehoshaphat, someone's clearly gone, you know what, as we were praising God, this is the scripture that came to mind. And they've given the word, they've done 1 Corinthians 14, they've judged the word of God, they've assessed and said, yes, this is from God, go for it. And they've given the word of God. So now it brings understanding and they're starting to go, oh, this is what it is, this is the word. This is what's telling us what's going on right here. They go back to the word of God. It's not just, oh God, we feel so bad, everyone's against us, everybody hates us, you know, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, think I'll go and eat worms. It wasn't that kind of prayer. They weren't singing that song. Some of you are too young to know what I'm talking about, probably. But here they are, they're using the sword of God as the foundation. Or the foundation of the word of God is that they're standing on is now becoming their sword. They've got strength now. See, a sword indicates that you've got some strength. You've got some strength in your hand. You're not just standing on your own in the middle of this horrible storm with the power of everything coming against you, you've actually got something that you can use against it now. And so they've got this word. And then it says, then they go on to say in their own words, for truly in verse 27, in this city. So now they're coming into this time. So someone's now getting, okay, you got that scripture. Well, let's interpret what is God actually saying to us now? Someone's got this scripture, they've they've remembered back to that particular verse in the Old Testament. All right, so what's he saying? All right, let's begin to pray. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. Now, I think God already knows what's going on. But they're, they're stand, this is what prayer is. Remember, Jesus actually said that God already knows what you need even before you ask because he already knows the thoughts. Then why do we have to speak it out? Because he's looking for the faith. He's looking for our words because they will agree. Now, it's, it's basically saying the words of our mouth are saying, you know what? I surrender. I actually need you. Okay, Jesus, I get it. I'm in a storm there's, a pro- there's some problems happening here. I surrender. I need you. And that's what they're saying. 
And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. Now, remember, they've just been told, they've been threatened. Don't ever preach this, don't use this name anymore. Hey, it's only a few months since they saw what happened to Jesus. Who knows what could happen to them? They, they don't know what sort of death they could endure or go through if they, if they stir up the, the anger of these people. They're, they're capable of anything. And yet here they are praying. Why? Because I believe when we are in that position of a corporate anointing where we are worshipping God, where we are standing on the word of God, and we are beginning to pray into the will of God, you know what boldness will come on us? It's a supernatural boldness. It's a, it's a spiritual boldness that comes onto us. And so here they are, they're saying, and grant that your bond servants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So you see, now they've got their sword, they've used it. They're praying based on that truth. They're using the sword who is the, the word of God, who is Jesus. It's powerful. They've worshipped God. They've praised him. They've magnified him. They've remembered the word of the Lord. It's given them something to stand on. They can now interpret that into their times now. They hear it together. It gets judged. It gets assessed. And they all go, yes, this is what's happening. And then, because remember, they don't have the book of Acts to read. Remember? Let's remember that. They don't have any of this to read. They're literally being led by the Spirit. We look back and look into the Word and go, oh, yeah, what, what, what did God say about that again? How, what do we do? This is different. They're, they're, nothing's been done. They're literally following how the Holy Spirit's teaching them. It's so powerful. But listen to this. Look at what happens. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together, as one, remember, was shaken. The whole place was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then look at the fruit. And they began to speak the, Lord, the word of God with boldness. Wow. It's really powerful. See, we don't have to feel anything. We don't have to conjure anything up. We don't have to be loud. We don't have to be intense. We don't have to kind of look religious and sound religious and be religious. We just have to gather together. Be the people of God. Magnify him. Stand on the word of God and honor the word of God and begin to pray and let our requests be made known to God with thanksgiving in our hearts. It's amazing. So, you know, when these people began to magnify God, he became bigger. It's like their hearts now got engaged with the right perspective and they saw who God really was and what he was actually doing. And we saw after they prayed, the house was shaken. Absolutely amazing. All right, number three. Number three, what does word, worship, and prayer do? It gives us a spirit of revelation. Acts chapter 13, 1 to 3 says this. Acts chapter 13, 1 to 3. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was also called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they, who's they? That's the leadership team. This is, this is a job description right here for leaders. It says, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Now, this is a good scripture for anyone who says, is fasting in the New Testament? Well, here we see the leaders demonstrating this and, and 
showing us that this is what they, that what they did. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, now, I don't know about you, but every now and then, us as leaders get a little bit tired of hearing people say, the Holy Spirit said. Yeah, because they're doing it as mavericks. They're doing it on their own. They're using it to pull down churches, destroy relationships and all sorts of things. But here the Holy Spirit said, in the safety of numbers. And this is what it's all about. When we get together, we will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. But it gets judged. It gets assessed. But notice they were ministering to the Lord and they were fasting. I would rather, Brahma and I would rather our leaders spend more time ministering to the Lord, praying, than spending 10,000 hours in administration. There are people that will have used their gifts of admin. Romans 12 tells us that. But if you've got the gift of administration, use it, give it. But if you've got a gift of leadership, if you've got a gift of the prophetic, you need to use that with faith. And so here they were, they were ministering. This is the leadership. And you know what God said to them? Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now Barnabas and Saul were, were there, right? It, it's amazing. They were in this group. Now Barnabas and Saul could have heard that themselves. In fact, quite possibly God had already given them this information in their own hearts because everything has to be confirmed. But the powerful thing is it was when they gathered together as a leadership team that God said that and it gave confirmation. And so it says, set them apart for the work for which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. We're going to look at what it means, the power of laying on of hands. And so this is why... I want us to prepare ourselves for this anointing service on, on the 17th in two weeks' time. Just really prepare and say, God, what is it you want to do in me? What is it you want to, where do you want to send me? What do you want to use me for? And, you know, there's power in, and there's safety when we do it as a, as a body. That's how it's meant to look. It's not about little mavericks going around saying, well, I feel God has told me to do this. Now, that's not actually how church works. Every step Brahma and I have ever done and we've always been led by the Holy Spirit. We've never done anything because someone else tapped us on the shoulder and said, hey, we think you should do this. Hey, we think you should do that. No, we've done it all out of how we've been led. However, in the context of us being led as individuals first, then as a couple second, we then submit ourselves thirdly to the broader body and to the leaders above us. Because that's how you judge and assess words from God. And that's exactly what we see here. So we see that the... Worship, the word and prayer will bring a spirit of revelation, all right? Now, number four, this is our last one. What will worship, word and prayer do? It will bring about supernatural acts. Absolutely, 100%. In fact, let's go to Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. This is an amazing, amazing passage of scripture. You can go back and read about it later. But basically, Paul and Silas were in prison because there's a lot of antagonism, of course, against this new belief system. And it says here in uh, verse 22, the crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. 
So it's interesting that that's been put in the Bible. So we know that there were very strict conditions around the imprisonment of these men. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So he's thinking, there's no way these guys are getting free. This is a done deal. I'm going to be very, uh, you know, I'm going to look good to my boss when he comes back tomorrow because he'll know that they've been well and truly locked away. But listen to this in verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Wow. I don't think they had TVs or the internet in their prison cells. I don't think it would have been heated or air-conditioned or cooled down or whatever. I think it would have been pretty rugged, and yet these men, there was nothing that could stop the joy of God that was in their hearts. And it shows us they don't know what's about to happen next. Remember, the book of Acts hasn't been written yet. They're just so full of God's joy and of His power. They're singing praises to God, and they're praying to God. See? Praise and prayer, worship and prayer go hand in hand. And then it says, and the prisoners were listening to them. See, people are watching our lives. They watch what we go through. They see how we respond. People are watching and they're listening. Other people that might be, let's use it in an allegorical kind of way. You know, we're all imprisoned in in a certain sort of way to our own flesh and to our own circumstances. But as the people of God, there needs to be something else that's coming out of our mouths. Because other people who are just as imprisoned are listening and are watching. And they'll see our victory. But they'll hear our stance in the midst of the problem. And so these other other prisoners are actually listening and they're seeing what's going on. They're probably thinking, you bunch of idiots, what are you guys doing? What do you think you're doing? Could you imagine hearing singing at midnight? I think that's hilarious. But then read what happens. It's not so funny when you go to the next verse. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. Remember we just read in Acts chapter 4 that the house was shaken. After they magnified God, after they prayed in unity. Here they are. Remember, it only takes two or three to gather in His name. That's all it takes. It only takes the two of us together, husbands and wives, friends on the phone, People at work, it only takes two of you to agree together and to magnify God and to be in, and be in one heart, one accord, be in unison and believe God. And what happens? The foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Wow. Our victory becomes other people's victories as well. I mean, that's a very allegorical way of looking at that scripture because it's literally exactly what happened. But I know there's power in this. I know there's power in the way that Brahm and I walk our lives. I know there's power as we walk through years and seasons and months and weeks and days of imprisonment in our own struggles, our own circumstances, our own problems, our own emotions. I know that even in the midst of that, the way we will praise God and honor God in the midst of that, I know that that speaks to other people. Forget that. I know when Brahm is in the middle of stuff and he gives honor to God, it speaks to me. And the same, like I've said before, we minister to one another. We all need each other, guys. We can't do this on our own. We actually all have to have each other and praise and worship encourages one another and our stance. Praise and prayer, praise is a victory stance. 
Sometimes it's singing. Sometimes it's just declaring. It's not even about a melody. It's just about, it's just about magnifying Him. God, you are amazing. You are awesome. You are exalted above everything else in my lives. In fact, when Brahm is praising God to me on the other end of the phone, he doesn't just start to sing the song. You know, he doesn't go into a cabaret style kind of, mm, he doesn't do that. He just starts to magnify God. It's, it's just so raw and normal. Well, maybe, being, maybe praising God isn't normal. I don't know. But for us, it's normal because we know that we need him. But you don't even have to have a melody. But here these guys are. They're singing. There's a melody. They're singing. They're remembering the Word of God. What are they doing? They're grabbing hold of the truth of the Word of God. And then it goes on to say, when, verse 27, when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword. Because remember, this guy has got into the inner prison. He's put their feet in chains. He's thinking, yep, I've done my job. I've, I've done well. I'm going to get a promotion. But instead, he draws his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Wow. And he called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Ah, what a story. What a story. Come on, if that was happening in the early church, why can't it happen now? Why can't it happen in November 2019? Why can't it happen in 2020? Why can't it happen in Q? Why can't it happen in your, your neck of the woods? Come on, this is God. This is God at work. We've got the same Holy Spirit that those guys had. He's in us as much as he was in them. It's no different. So we will see supernatural acts. And uh, how does it happen? It happened through prayer, praise, the Word of God, singing. You see, you can't separate any of it. And that's why, see, Paul went through all of this. Not only did he have the knowledge of the Word of God and the past testimonies, he wasn't alive in the Old Testament, but he had the Word of God to instruct him. See, this is why the Word is so powerful. Guys, it's so powerful. It will instruct us. Let's not be prideful and arrogant and think, oh, we know better than the Bible. Well, it's just an old book. No. Come on, guys. We will humble ourselves and receive it as it really is, the Word of God, which is able to save our souls. And Paul knew that. It was in, he was instructed by it. But not only that, he stepped out on it. He saw the reality. And then, of course, we come to the other verses that we read at the very beginning. That's why he could emphasize to the churches about the power of worship. And I'll read parts of the Scriptures again out of Ephesians 5, 19. He says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. See, that's why he's, he's using those things. He's proved that it's work. He proved it back in Acts. Hey, guys, this works. So they would have been singing to God, but they were probably encouraging one another about God. That's why even pop songs that talk about God and the glory of God, that can disciple people. That's actually talking to someone in a spiritual song. It encourages people about the nature and the reality and the truth of God. So that's why he can now say he's proven it. Not only does his knowledge tell him it's true out of the word, but now he's lived literally and he's seen the power of it. He's also heard the stories about out of Acts 4. He wasn't even saved back then. He was still going around killing Christians because that didn't happen until Acts chapter 9 that he got saved. But here he is. Here he is now instructing the churches. This is how you do it. 
You speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs because you encourage each other with the truth of God's word. And then he goes on to say, you sing out of Ephesians. He says, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. So you do it to your fellow believer, but you also do it to the Lord. You minister to him. In Colossians, he says, let the word of God, the word of Christ, richly dwell within you. Can I ask you guys, are we allowing the word of Christ to richly dwell within us? We have more access to the word of God now than ever, ever before in the history of humanity. But I've never seen such a weak generation of Christians who don't know their Bibles. I'm not talking about you because you're all amazing, all incredible. But we've got a generation that have been brought up on fairy floss. You know, you take one bite and it kind of shrivels in you. There's nothing of substance. Because they haven't put the word, it's not dwelling richly in them. We've got to be self-feeders of the word of God. Brahma and I have the word as the absolute first principle, the core values. It sets everything in our lives and in our mind. And so Paul says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. That means warning one another. How can you warn someone if you don't know what the word says? We've got a lot of warning going on on the internet, on Twitter, on all sorts of social media platforms. Everyone's being very judgmental. They're warning everyone. They're trying to admonish. But I don't hear a lot of the word of God richly dwelling in them coming out of their mouths. It's just judgment. It's just rubbish. You know, if we want to admonish one another and warn one another, let's make sure that we've got the word of truth richly dwelling within us first. So he's saying here, admonish one another with psalms, with hymns, and with spiritual songs. Divinely inspired songs. But then also he says, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So once again, it's to one another and it's to God. Because we're continually reinforcing the truth of God to one another. When we minister to the Lord, it brings a manifestation of God's power and spirit. You know, I remember, and I'm going to finish with this. I'm going to ask the music team to come on up now. But I want to finish with this just before we break and go and get our kids. You know, um, when Brahm and I were first Christians, baby, very baby Christians, and we just started singing, we'd, we'd had our own little, you know, singing thing happening up in Indonesia. But when we got filled with the Spirit, baptized, we didn't want to sing for ourselves anymore. We just wanted to sing for God. And so straight away, we just did what we knew best, which was to sing. So we found a whole lot of Christian songs, and we, we made our first cassette tape. Uh, I know most of you don't know what they are, but uh, in fact, I can't even find it now. I can't find our very original one. I reckon it was actually our best. It was just done with keys, and it was, done, it was recorded in someone's um, garage or something. But really beautiful songs, just spiritual songs, divinely inspired songs. It wasn't worship in the sense of what we know worship albums look like. It wasn't that. It was just tracks, but really beautiful songs. And, uh, you know, we would, we would then go around and sing at different churches in different places. And over the years, we've had many people give us quite phenomenal testimonies. And one of them was that, um, in fact, he's a pastor now. I want to see if I can get him to come to our church one day to, to speak to us. He's a pastor in the country in Victoria. But at this particular time, he was a policeman and he wasn't a Christian and he was ready to kill himself. 
and he had a gun because he was a policeman and he, he tells the story and he told us the story personally how it was one Sunday afternoon and he'd absolutely had enough of his life. So this is in the early to mid 80s. And he got the gun and he was about to kill himself and he screamed out to God. He said, God, if you really exist, you have to prove it to me now. Otherwise, I'm going to kill myself. And as he was praying that, he suddenly remembered someone had given him a cassette tape, a Brahmin Diane cassette tape. Now, you might mock, but that was like gold back then, guys. <laughs> now, he wouldn't have even known who we were, to be honest. But someone had given him a cassette tape of, of music, and it, suddenly he remembered that. Someone had given him something to do with Christian music. So he grabbed that cassette. Now, remember, he's sitting there with his, with his gun, ready to kill himself, and he puts on our cassette tape. And one of the songs is, He Will Carry You. He will carry you. It's the most beautiful song. And um, in that moment, God came into that living room and transformed his heart really powerfully. He got in the car. He drove down to the first church he could find, which happened to be Dandenong AOG. I think Alan Davies might have been the pastor at the time. And he went forward at the 5 p.m. service that night and gave his life to the Lord. And he then went into ministry, left the police force, and he's now a senior pastor. Now, that's the anointing on spiritual songs. It spoke to him. It brought breakthrough. There are supernatural things that happen when we worship God. Another one is when Brahma and I were singing on TV, we were singing our spiritual songs on New Faces. We're now old faces, but back then we were new faces. And uh, we were determined just to sing Christian songs, so we did. We went on and sang Christian songs. And we had phenomenal testimonies come through from there as well. And one woman at a church that we went to came and told us that when she was listening to that, now it wasn't verified, I can't, I can't tell you anything more than what she told me, so I can't validate this, but she told us that she had been diagnosed with a brain tumour. And when she heard us singing on TV that night, she felt something, she felt God touch her when she was in her living room. And she said she was healed from that brain tumor. You know, when we worship God, when we do spiritual songs, when we minister to the Lord, you don't know what can happen. You don't know what God can do. It's not a big, dramatic, emotional, let me create an atmosphere. We don't have to create anything. His spirit creates the atmosphere. He can do it through a cassette tape. He can do it through a television. He can do it in a car. He can do it in our cute little thing here that we call church, this building. It's up to him. He creates the atmosphere. So there's something really powerful about united worship. There's something really powerful about united prayer. And there's something very powerful about basing it all on the truth of his word. In a couple of weeks' time, when we lay hands on people, I want the whole worship team to be here, as well as everyone else. We're going to lay hands on, on every department, every area. And we're going to see what God is, is just going to do in our lives. It won't be big and dramatic, unless God makes it big and dramatic. We'll literally be putting oil on you, praying, maybe prophesying, we'll see. But if you come with faith, God will do something in your life. That I do know. All right? But it's Him who builds. So let me finish by saying this. When we pray, 
pray from the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, open your Bible as you're praying. Look for anything. Go through the New Testament. Look for anything. Always start by magnifying God with a sacrifice of praise, with the fruit of your lips. Let it be praising God. And I, I know, and I've talked about how I know that's hard, but you know what? That's what we need. Use the Word of God as a weapon and be thankful to Him because He's faithful to do it. Amen? Let's stand. Let's stand. And I think, let's just pray. Let's just worship God now. We don't need to do an altar call. We don't need to do anything like that. Let's just, let's just finish by worshiping God and, and focusing on these next two weeks of what God's going to do, all right?